Um, and welcome to 99. Uh, for those of you don't, who don't know me, uh, my name is Ying. I'm not the pastor here. Um, that's Mickey and Krista, but they are currently on paternity and maternity leave. They just had their baby Zion a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm just filling in uh, for some of the roles that they would otherwise fulfill. Um, yeah. So, and a little bit about me. Ever since college, I've I've always had in this back of my mind that I wanted to explore pastoral ministry. I don't know if I share that a lot, but I don't think so. But yeah, but always in the back of my mind. Um, yeah, and two of my best friends are currently pastors, and two of my uh, college roommates are pastors. So I always have this deep like respect and admiration for for those who pursue um, pastoral ministry. Um, but for me, for certain reasons, I, ne- I never really explored that path. Um, so this experience is really fulfilling for me. And um, yeah, so thank you guys for, for rolling with it. <sighs> yeah, but if I'm to be pretty vulnerable right now, like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard. Like, so props, props to you guys, like, pastors for, who are watching and tuning in. We miss you guys. Um, and sometimes, like, I have these moments where I'm like, dang, like, why, why me? Like, what qualifies me to be doing this right now? You know, um, and you, there, there are difficult times in where I, I just kind of replay my mind, like, what my friends and my pastors, like, affirm, affirming me. And one of the things that have always been affirmed in me uh, by you know, church leaders and pastors and friends is, is my heart. And through all, all my life, it, it was something like, you know, Ying, you, you're bad at, at administrative work, but you have a heart. Or it sounds more ambiguous, like, Ying, you don't meet our qualifications on paper, but you meet it in heart. And I'm like, dude, what does that even mean? Like, you guys can't find anyone else or something? But, all right, um, and I've always struggled with this because, like, I have a love-hate relationship with my heart. I'm such a strong feeler, right? Um, my heart it has such a huge capacity to receive love, and, like, sometimes I feel like I'm the most loved person in the universe, but it also, like, I also have a huge capacity to feel pain, um, to receive pain and hold that. Um, so... You know, it can be so overwhelmed by negative emotions, and sometimes I just want to rip it out and throw it by the wayside and just kind of leave it and be hollow for a while. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is just me being vulnerable, like telling you about some of my internal struggles. Um, and I wish that if I were to take out my heart right now and, like, put it on an altar and offer it to God and offer it to you, 99, that it would be this radiant, glowing heart of gold. Um, but I think in reality, it's, it's probably more purple and bruised and loosely bandaged and bleeding and raw, like this bloody red mush. Um, and I always imagine, like, just holding it up to God and, I think his response would always be, yeah, I'll I'll take that. I'll take the heart that is bruised and bloody with bandages falling off. And that's the one I want. And that's humbling, you know, to to know that this is the heart that he wants and he chooses to represent himself to the world or at least to the gym or wherever there's a barbell and a kettlebell. (laughs) But 
Yeah, I, I truly believe that, you know, when God looks in my heart, he sees something beautiful. And that's hard to grasp because that's not the experience right now, right? Like, it's... But it helps me understand the gospel more. And it helps me understand, like, Jesus and his affinity for broken things, why he's always around broken people. Um, you know, he's always around brokenness. And he changes that paradigm of what brokenness can be. You know, I feel broken sometimes, but he sees beauty. And it's, that, it's from this wrestling with that tension, with this dichotomy between what I'm feeling and what he declares over me that this sermon was kind of born from. Uh, so let me pray for us. And God, searcher of my heart, I pray that in the next few moments that you would give me the grace to borrow a few ancient yet living words and bring it to the context of this current day that many in this room um, or even perhaps just one would receive life from them. So permeate every place as you speak and may the space between heaven and earth grow thin. Uh, give, me, give us a word. Give us a word that would move us from anxiety into peace from despair into hope, from brokenness into beauty. And it's in Jesus' name, keeper of my heart, I pray, amen. So the passage we'll be looking at uh, today, it's, it's probably one that you've encountered if you've been uh, in the church long enough. Uh, it's Mark 14, verses 3 to 9. It's a story of the woman with the alabaster jar. And it goes like this. Oh, cool, Awesome. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table. A woman, or as he was reclining at a table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. I read that kind of weird. I'm going to do that one more time. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can go for them, or you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Right? Okay. Um, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So the story, this act, starts with the woman breaking the alabaster jar, and then it continues with the, the disdainful rebuke of the onlookers, and ends with Jesus' declaration that what has transpired is beautiful. All right, so we'll take a look at the uh, woman's act. Uh, we'll linger with her for a little bit longer because she kind of she kind of steals the show. All right, so as he was reclining at the table, you put that up if you want. 
A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Here, right, we see this unnamed woman who probably wasn't even invited to the table, crossing gender and social norms of the day to set herself in front of Jesus to perform this act of worship, breaking a jar and anointing Jesus' head with oil. So the alabaster jar um, and the oil contained with it, like it was traditionally is traditionally used in Jewish custom as a dowry that a woman would give to her spouse. So when the two wed, right, um, the woman would break the jar and pour the contents over uh, her husband as a way to honor him. Right. So this jar was like meant to be saved for marriage. But rather than saving her dowry uh, for her future, for a potential future husband, this woman, she breaks it for Jesus. So by the end of this woman's act, right, she's left with not only shattered fragments of an alabaster jar, but she's left with shattered fragments of a dream for marriage. Right? She can't use it anymore for, for that. And she's left with an unfulfilled desire to find significance as a woman in her culture through marriage, right? A a woman's social standing was determined at that time by who she married, right? And she was left with a surrender hope for security and a future. And yet Jesus says something else about this, right? He finds beauty in this surrender. By anointing his head, right, the woman unknowingly was preparing Jesus for his burial. Her act of worship was intimately, like, tied to his destiny. And so Jesus gives her lofty praise and, like, it's unmatched acclaim, right? He he says of her, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So her story is forever tied with Jesus and his story. And 99, as, like, as worshipers as, of Jesus, like, her legacy is carried on through you, right? Her legacy lives in you. Like, how many of you know that, like this woman, your stories are tied to God's? And similarly to her, you know, you, most of you guys probably have dreams that were shattered, or desires that were unfulfilled, or hopes that were surrendered, you know? But the intersection of beauty and brokenness lies in the words of Jesus. He tells of the woman that her act was beautiful, and it was so. And I believe that he declares that over your lives, too, over our lives. And honestly, speaking with you, I, I don't know how that will unfold or what that will look like in your life or my life. But all I have is the legacy of a worshiper, uh, the word of Jesus, and a grace for this moment to believe in that. You know, and At the end of all your dead ends is a Jesus that's waiting for you. Um, yeah, I want to share a quote from, from one of my spiritual heroes. Her name is Yuri Cho, and she's a pastor in the East Coast, in New Jersey. And I, I found this in her, one of her Instagram posts. Um, and she, she writes, 
this. All right. We tend to place so much energy and focus on making sure that we never hit a place of utter helplessness and vulnerable isolation. That clenching of the jaw, the, that calculating and recalculating done in our minds, the mindfulness of various voices, too many voices, that angst that forbids you ever to take your eyes off the ball, and merely a semblance of control to avoid that place. Yes, you know that place, a place of powerlessness, helplessness, hopelessness, loneliness. A dead end where every dream has been spent and no ideas are left, where you are literally counting change and have nowhere else to turn. Do not despair, for a kind and gentle friend awaits you there. His name is Jesus, and he is the answer to your dead end. He invites you to consider his path once you find out that the one that you're creating for yourself is stops working. He invites you to a life of dependency on his voice rather than striving by your own willpower. He invites you to know the architect rather than trying to conf configure the blueprint on your own. He welcomes you just as you are to know him more intimately than your troubles. He is good news for where there is no way he makes a way. So this woman, right, she, once she gives her dowry over to Jesus, her dreams for a marriage and security for a future, they literally come to a dead end. But it was in that dead, dead end that Jesus spoke identity into this unnamed woman. He calls her beautiful. And he, like, yeah. And anywhere the gospel is heard, her story is also. Um, so yeah, just let him meet you at your dead ends. Right, that's where your story and his like intersect and start running together. Um, so let's transition over to, to the onlooker's response. All right, so I think this is verse four. Yeah. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was, this, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And so here we, we see that the woman's act of breaking the alabaster jar is met with the disdain of the onlookers. And yet, oh man, yeah. As she breaks the jar, it can no longer be used as a dowry, nor could it be sold uh, for money. Um, and its economic value is diminished. And that drew the indignation of the men in the room. They saw the potential for 300 denarii rather than a woman's generous gift of love to Jesus. And yet, despite the anger of the men, Jesus defines the woman's wasteful act as beautiful. Right? A gift worth 300 denarii, a year's worth of wages, all lavished upon him. And the woman held nothing back of her worship. Instead, she gave generously and extravagantly. Uh, so 99, your worship is not a waste. Your singing on Sundays aren't just mere notes that dissipate into the air. You're serving coffee. You're setting up for production. You're intermingling with guests and each other. It's not a waste. You even being here for, after a long week of work is an act of generosity of your time. And it's a gift that Jesus accepts. You know? And nothing that you do, nothing that is committed to God is ever truly a waste to him. Your passions, your hobbies, your labor, your rest, 
Like, have you ever been told that something you do is, like, a waste of time or effort? Like, um, when I was in college, I would spend, like, that's when I first, like, discovered the gym. So I spent, like, two or three hours there a day. And, like, like to some, it was a waste of time, all right? And they're probably right, the people who told me it was a waste of time, um, because I could have been studying for organic chemistry um, at that time. And, you know, like, my time at the gym may or may not have contributed, contributed to me failing organic chemistry twice. So I don't know. I don't know. But at some point, I, I really committed my workout time to God. Like, God, I have a big heart, and I have an elite bench, strong shoulders, pretty big biceps, pretty good squat, average deadlift. But, you know, he says, yeah, cool, I'll take that. And here are 25 clients for you to love. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's kind of what it is now, man. Like, yeah. Thank you, Joseph. Vanessa, you get me. Yeah, and working out, um, it's been, it's like a form of worship to me, you know, it's become like that, um, yeah, you know, for most people, they come to the gym, they do the thing, stay healthy, you know, stay mentally healthy, um, get stronger, slimmer, whatever, but for me, yeah, when I step on that workout floor, it's like, man, the heavens open up, and the atmosphere is like filled with like just shining cosmic radiance, you know, and like heaven and earth kind of meet together. Well, I'm just kidding. I'm exaggerating, and I'm probably annoying to my coworkers when I work out because I make a lot of noise because I just like having fun. Um, but, but that's what it feels like. I can feel the delight of the Lord over me, and I feel, like, drawn into his presence when I work out. And for you, it might not be working out. It might be some hobby or career path that you're pursuing that, that it, it maybe is not panning out for you, you know? And maybe that feels like a waste. But I encourage you, like, just simply, like, man, offer it to God. Let him, let him have it. Take control of it. Um, and in some way or another, like, he'll, he'll make something be- beautiful out of it. Yeah. And with that, uh, we, we get to Jesus. And he has the last word over everything that transpires. Um, and Jesus says, after the onlookers are scolding this woman, um, Leave her alone. Like, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done for me, or what she has done will be told in memory of her. So by the end of the woman's act, we have these fragments of an alabaster jar scattered across the floor. Uh, you know, it, it, something that used to be whole is now shattered. And an item that was once of great value is now wasted. And something that once had utility is now broken, right? And yet Jesus declares this beautiful... Jesus disc- declares this as beautiful. And by Jesus' words, our paradigm of beauty is now shifted. Beauty, beauty through the eyes of Jesus no longer needs to look like something whole or valuable or full of u- utility. It can look like a shattered dream. It can look like a waste. It can look like brokenness. Yeah. Um, see, the world tries to define beauty by some superficial 
aesthetic standard or value. Um, but to Jesus, beauty is the word kalos. It's an outward expression of an inward goodness. He's the creator and finisher of beauty, and his whole creative framework involves naming something as beautiful and as good. Like when he created the world, right? He created the world, and he said it was good. And so it was. And he called the woman's worship beautiful. And so, so it was. And to Jesus, beauty is not a standard to strive for, but an identity to live by. You know, we, despite our brokenness, everything that death has touched are beautiful because that is the identity that God gives us as his children, you know. My broken, bleeding, and barely bandaged heart is beautiful and valuable to him. And I don't know what it is for you. Um, maybe it's a shattered dream. Maybe it's a wasted effort, unfulfilled desire, or rejection. But he speaks a better word over you. Oh. And as we end, uh, I'm going to invite Jacob. Yeah. As we end, uh, I just want to invite us into a time of interaction with, with Jesus. So Jacob's going to lead us into a time of worship or our last song in a little bit. But I really want to spend some, like, I want to give you some space to spend some personal time, like, just speaking and listening to the voice of God. You know, like, I want you guys to, like, put yourself in the place of the woman of the jar, you know? And, and what is the brokenness that you're bringing before him? And what have been the lies of the world that you've been listening to? You know, what have the onlookers been saying that you've been believing? And what is, what is Jesus saying over you? Yeah. Let's take a couple of moments to hear from him. God, who's always near the brokenhearted, we come to you as we are. We trade our brokenness and our you know, anxiety and all our, you know, everything that we hold on to for your portion. Um, we trade it to be loved, to be in your presence, to be embraced by you. So God, as we leave this time of worship, God, I, I pray that, you know, we leave with a better word, with your word spoken over us, that we are beautiful, that we're good, that everything that we offer is not wasted, but is accepted as a gift. And we thank you for this moment, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.